Let's go to the word of the Lord, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to read verse 7, and then I'll read verse 16 through verse 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, and then also verse 16 through verse 18. And the Bible reads us so in the name of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Verse 16, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward men perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Amen. I want to speak here uh, several minutes on this subject. We faint not. We faint not. Amen. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we pray that you would help us. That you would minister to us as we bring your word. Allow me to be honest with the text. To bring it forth in a manner that is understandable. And that your people may not just hear. But that they may appropriate and then put it into action. And we pray these things in Jesus name. Amen and amen. God bless you all. And you may be seated. In the year 1513, Juan Ponce de Leon, who was the first governor of the beautiful island of Puerto Rico, upon hearing of a great legend from the indigenous people of that island, he went on an expedition towards the sunshine state of Florida in order to find the venerated fountain of youth. Now, the waters that are found in the fountain uh, of this youth supposedly had healing powers and would reverse or at least decelerate the governor's aging process. Juan Ponce de Leon, ecstatic over the thought that he had found the fountain of youth, boasted about it to friends and colleagues, but unfortunately, little by little, his body begin, began to show the very same signs of deterioration and decay as everybody else's. Some years later in Havana, Cuba, after being wounded by an opponent's poison arrow, even Governor de Leon realized a certain reality, that no matter how much one wants to avoid it, this outward man, as Paul calls it, that is to say, our body has no other choice but to perish. No matter how much you want to avoid it, no matter, this outward man is perishing. Oh, Juan Ponce de Leon, you, my friend, are not alone. You see, the older I get, the more I am painfully aware of this humbling reality 
in my own life. This outward man is perishing. See, once upon a time, I could get up from a chair uh, without the ever so popular international sign of old age called grunting, grunting. I am sad to inform you that once upon a time no longer exists. As a matter of fact, here recently my two boys have informed me and without my solicitation, may I say, that my grunting is now not just limited to when I get up, but according to those beautiful little angels of mine, this practice has now been extended even to when I lie down. So now I grunt when I arise and I grunt when I lie down. Oh, Juan Ponce de Leon, you, my friend, are not alone. This outward man is perishing. It is perishing. Well, you can laugh all you want to, but some of you precious saints of God, you are also well aware of the trials and tribulations that one must face as it pertains to um, this outward man. And just in case your selective memory doesn't recall what this preaching is talking about at the moment, let me remind you of the signs that life seems to rub in your face to help you remember that your outward man is indeed perishing. All right? Here goes the signs. Wrinkles. Pains, stains, and strains. Elasticity. Somebody said amen to that. Amen. Gray hair, um, spots, and fractures. And last but certainly not least, prune juice. I thought I'd get at least two laughs at that. Amen. <laughs> Um, all of these things are unwelcome reminders that this outward man is indeed perishing. We're perishing. See, friends, the fountain of youth is a legend that has existed, existed for centuries upon centuries. And men long to find it because we all have an innate desire to live forever. We all want to live forever. I suspect that we desire to live forever because we were originally created to be eternal beings. And as beings who were originally designed to live forever, we have an innate desire to live, to stay young, and to never grow old. The Bible clearly says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11 that God has placed eternity in the hearts of mankind. In other words, God has placed us in us the desire to live forever. The desire to stay young. That's what living forever means. I want to stay young. It's that desire. It's that same desire that keeps 58-year-old youth pastor wearing skinny jeans and uh, posting TikTok videos. My dude, you are 58 years old. And may I say, I'm going to be that youth pastor right there. So I'm just going to give y'all a warning. At 58, I'm, that's me. As a matter of fact, we, we love life so much that we seek to extend it. And how, how do we try to lengthen our lives? Well, 
We have fantasies that with all the advancements in the field of science and technology, that one day before we die, they will find the secret to make us live forever, forever. And when I say we, I mean me. And when that doesn't work, and more than likely it won't, then we seek to at least appear as if we're immortal, right? We spent countless money to try to fool people into thinking that we are still young. Yeah, I mean, listen, I've got proof of that. Night creams, right? Somebody said amen to that. Because you know, listen, I know some of y'all are against Halloween. At my house, it was Halloween every night. Because I'd come out, my sisters had this white face. I don't know if it was a racial thing or not, but they had, they had, they had this white face going on. There's Halloween every night. You've got essential oils. You've got ointments. Uh, you've got wigs. Amen. Uh, let me just, get, can I give y'all a little story real quick? Amen. Where it's, it's Thursday night. This is a family environment. So I'm just, this is going to be a secret between us. But um, sometime, I want to say it was about three, two, three years ago. Um, I was at a church and uh, we were, I had just uh, finished preaching. And so I was over at the altar and I started praying for this one lady and, uh, you know, it was, uh, people were just weeping and crying and, uh, you know, all sorts of stuff. And this lady somehow, Holy Ghost got a hold of her and she just started moving and shaking back and forth while I was praying for her. Somehow or another, her hair got caught on my watch. And uh, may I say, when her hair got caught on my watch, her head kept moving but the hair did not. Amen. And uh, y'all, I don't know if I'm even saved for saying this, but uh, can I just share a little secret with y'all? So I looked around, No, you know, everyone had their eyes closed. This lady had not noticed and she was going, she was going to town. So I grabbed, I untangled the thing from my watch and I waited until she kind of stopped and I set it back in place. <laughs> oh, man. Prayed for her some more, set it back in place, kind of tapped it. I don't know if I was doing it right, but I tapped that thing in. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Anyway. So we've got wigs, we've got Botox, Zumba, and every Monday we start a new diet. Why? Because we're trying to extend life, or at least we're trying to give the impression that we still have life. Many have even resorted to lie about their age. I have a grandmother um, who kept uh, telling everyone that she was a certain age. The problem is, several decades later, she was still the same age. And uh, finally, my uncle had to say, Mom, I need you to advance that thing because we're about to be the same age, right? Y'all need you to go up. And I've got another grand, my other grandmother, thank God, man, I don't know, uh, she doesn't have one white hair. I have, um, I think I have very good genes. Um, she's 90 years old. She doesn't have one white hair. Thanks be to God and Walmart. And... Uh, <laughs> 
But it really doesn't matter how much you use that dusty Peloton bike in your basement or how much you try to hide it. One day, you will realize, like Governor Juan Ponce de Leon, that the expiration of our mortal bodies will take place whether you want it or not. Because if the Lord should tarry, we all have an appointment with death. We all do. Well, Paul implies here in this text that this inevitable appointment we have with death causes people to faint. It causes us to get discouraged, you know, to faint. Every time we see the evidence of our perishing outward men and death drawing nearer and nearer, it causes us to be discouraged. As beings with eternities that are uh, set in our hearts, we perceive that life is drawing to an end. And this makes us faint. Isn't that true, though? I mean, just look over some pictures of you when you were in high school or uh, junior high school. Back when you could dance before the Lord without an oxygen tank. Back when you can eat about 22 White Castle burgers. How many know about White Castle? And all right, that's more than I thought. You have to have a Midwest background of some. Okay, yeah. Uh, Y'all, if you've never had White Castle, don't. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> Back when you could eat about 22 White Castle burgers and still have enough energy to sprint to the restroom. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Back when you could still sing and properly illustrate the song, Head and shoulders, knees and toes. Um, the, but the years, the back pain, the slowing metabolism, these have all caused you to change that song to just head and shoulders. That's all you can illustrate now. Just head and shoulders. You sound like a shampoo ad. Head and shoulders. Now, on top of that fact, the fact that our bodies are slowly expiring, also add to that the trials and tribulations of life. Uh, listen, things you never imagined when you had dreams as a teenager, you never imagined that life would bring you to this point. For some of us, it's divorce. For some here, it's uh, failed relationships, bankruptcy, failed businesses, illnesses, death, grief, debt, wayward children, church hurt, racism, chemical imbalances, addictions, accidents, injury, trauma, insults, mental health, uh, disloyalty, this, this depression, fatigue, burnout, stress, and the list just goes on and on and on. Between our outward man and perishing and the trials of life, there we have two great enemies that cause people to faint. We are just people, life just throws a, there's no shortage of options that life throws your way to make you feel like you're going to faint. And yet, how intriguing to me that Paul can still declare, we faint not. We faint not Paul. What exactly do you mean? I mean, you yourself said just a couple of verses before our text here that death is actually 
acting in us. Death is acting in us. So Paul, if death is acting in us, what then do you mean when you say we faint not? We faint not. Well, if we're being honest, these last two years of our lives has been harsh. Many things have caused us to faint and get discouraged. We've lost family members and colleagues and friends and acquaintances. We have battled against a global pandemic. We uh, have been quarantined for months, uh, hidden behind a mask. Many have had to face life alone. Our children have been relegated to a virtual classroom for some time. Depression abounds. Uh, domestic violence abounded uh, during uh, the quarantine season. Many churches have had to deal with move out. Some churches never recovered and had to shut their doors. Many of my my uh, uh, friends, pastor friends, had to shut their doors because many of their people never came back. While others are at the brink of extinction, jobs have been lost and for many business has suffered. You can't seem to tune in to the news because every day some new evil is fast approaching. The world is offended at everything. So we have war and demonstrations and looting and marches, insurrections, political turmoil. There are no shortage of options when it comes to things that can potentially cause our hearts to faint. So Paul, what do you mean when you say that we faint not? Well, I want to understand Paul's reasoning. Why don't we faint, Paul? Let's look in this text to find out various clues as to why Christians do not faint. And the first thing I need you to notice is that Paul starts out the text by saying, for which cause we faint not. For which cause we faint not. Uh, what does that mean, for which cause? It means on account of, or therefore, or consequently, or for this reason. In other words, something said before this is what's causing us not to faint. It says, for this cause. What is the cause? Well, we have to get a better handle of the context to see what he's talking about. And I'm going to tell you the point that he's making right off the bat. This is the point that Paul is making. The reason we don't faint as Christians is because our weaknesses are the vehicle that God is using to make his glory shine. Our very weaknesses are the reason that, or are the vehicle that God is using to make his glory shine. And that's why Christians don't faint in the midst of a generation that is fainting over their weaknesses. Christians look at their weaknesses and say, thank you, Lord, because your glory is shining through my weaknesses. As a matter of fact, your weakness is precisely the type of bark, dark background that God is looking for to make his glory shine. So while the world faints at their weaknesses, Christians rejoice because we know that it's through our weaknesses that God's glory is shining. Let's, let, let, let me give you a little background on this text so you can see that point. So 
Paul had established a church in Corinth, right? That's where we read, Corinth. And he had established that church over a period of two years, preaching there. And not long after he leaves that church, false teachers come in. And their agenda was to teach lies to the church. Now, in order to be heard, they had to dethrone Paul, right? They had to, uh, they had to uh, uh, smear his character. And so they started an all-out assault on Paul. Now, in the midst of his own congregation, Paul's congregation, in his absence, they tried to discredit him in a way that is inconceivable. Let me explain. Their attack were involved some low, very low blows. They were merciless, relentless. They were cheap. And part of their assault on him was an unthinkable kind of attack. They assaulted him on the basis of his personal defects, on his personal weaknesses. They assaulted him on the basis of his physical blemishes and his human weaknesses, mainly in the way he looked and the way he spoke. The way he looked and the way he spoke. As a matter of fact, he addresses these false apostles in chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians. And he says in verse 10 that this is what the false apostles said about him. This is what they said. They said, for his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. His letters are weighty, they're powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is contemptible. In other words, they said his written letters, wow, they're very impressive. When he writes, he's an impressive writer. But then when you see him, he's very unimpressive. His bodily presence is very unimpressive and his speech, his skill set is horrible. He's a horrible speaker. Right? And he is not an imposing person. He lacks charm. He lacks persona. He lacks good looks. He doesn't have the personal presence and the personal power to motivate people. Now, th there was a, a document um, that appeared around the middle of the second century AD. And now this is a couple years, several, a couple decades after Paul's own death. But um, this document appeared some, sometime in the middle of the second century. And it claims to know what Paul looked like. Now, listen, we can't say, we can't, uh, you know, legitimize this document one way or another. We don't know. But, but there is, you know, we may think because uh, it, it's called the Acts of Paul and Tekla, which never made it into the New Testament. And the reason why it never made it into the New Testament is because Tertullian, um, Tertullian denounced it as heretical because it encouraged women to preach and baptize. And so he said, this is not part of the New Testament. But the book was read widely in the developing early church. And uh, just like the other letters, it, it, is, it is known as one of the letters that was read. And so according to the story, Paul is approaching the city of Iconium and Titus gave a description of Paul in the book. Titus gives a description of Paul to Onesiphorus, Onesiphorus. And uh, he gives him a description of his appearance so he knows 
who to wait on because Honest Forrest had never seen him. So he tells him, this is what he looks like, so when you see him. And this is the description that he gave of Paul. He says, he was to watch for a man who was small in size. Some scholars say he, was, he didn't make it to uh, uh, five feet. He was very a very short man. Um, and then it says, small in size, bald-headed, Amen. Thank God that God can use some bald-headed men. And then it said bow-legged. Bow-legged. He was bald-headed and he was bow-legged. And then it says he was well-built with eyebrows that met. <laughs> Amen. So he had, a, he had a unibrow going on. Amen. Uh, there was no salons back in Paul's day. And... Uh, Rather long-nosed, rather long-nosed. And then I love this. At the very end, he said, and full of grace. Oh, thank, thank you. After that description, yeah, you know, full of grace and the Holy Ghost. <laughs> oh, man. I don't want to be that full of grace. Right? And then, um, so th that's his description. We don't know, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you this, where there is smoke, there is fire, right? And so somehow, if 2 Corinthians is saying this man does not have the right kind of appearance, and then this book comes up, a very early book, and this is the way it describes him, you know, now you're starting to see the picture. The man is not anything, you know, that ain't no Brad Pitt we're talking about, right? I mean, this, this guy is nothing to look at. Now, there are some clues in the Bible um, that, I, that I kind of want you to see that would attest to this. In verse, uh, I think this is Acts 14. I forgot to add the reference here, but I think it's Acts, Acts 14, verse 19 through 20. Listen to what Paul said, or listen to what uh, Luke said about Paul. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. And they stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, so they gathered around him maybe to hide the fact that he wasn't dead, that he was still breathing. And he got up and he went back into the city. And the next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. Now, that's important for a reason, and I'll explain why in a second. But um, I, I read up on the Jew, in the Jewish encyclopedia um, to summarize the procedure that was used when stoning an individual so that you can know how that worked, okay? When, when it says here that Paul was stoned and then left for dead, this is what it's talking about. They, play, they would place the prisoner on a platform that was twice the prisoner's height, twice the prisoner's height. And then one of the witnesses against him, the person that accused him of whatever the wrongdoing was, that witness would throw him to the ground from that platform. That platform, you know, mainly about a sec second story fall. So they would throw him from that platform. And so if the concussion when that person falls does not result in instant death as it did for a lot of the people that fell, 
then the second witness, because you need in the mouth of two or three witnesses, so the second witness against him would throw a boulder or a heavy rock on his chest. So it would drop. So imagine the guy had just fallen from a second story, concussed, and then a second witness throws a boulder on his, um, on his chest. And only when this too proves insufficient, because people usually die, at, by that point, people are dead. But if that proves insufficient to end the poor person's misery, then the rest of the village would throw stones at the limp and prostate body until death ensues. So everyone would grab stones and begin to beat that person or to throw stones, cast stones at the person. The reason why they had stopped the proceedings against Paul is because the Bible says they believed that he had died. It's the only reason they stopped. They thought he was dead. He was unconscious. I mean, that's how stoned he was, right? They had stoned him and they thought he had died. So they said, all right, I guess he's not breathing. Let's go. And what I want you to notice is that Although Paul survived, look, look what happens when he writes the letter to Galatians chapter 4. Now, let me explain. Remember I said, uh, the Bible said in Acts 14 that he got up and went to Derby. I uh, went to Derby. Well, Derby is a city that is located in the region of Galatia. Galatia was not a city. Galatia was a region. So when this letter was written to the Galatians, it wasn't written to a specific church. It was written to the region, the churches in that whole region. And there were different cities in that church, uh, including Derby. Derby was part of that, uh, of that region. So in Galatians 4 and 14, Paul tells the church in Galatia, this is what he tells them. He says, and my trial which was in my flesh... You did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. How beautiful was that? That when he showed up to Derby, right, to the region of Galatia, even his trial in the flesh, I would assume that he's, that's what he's talking about. When he finally shows up, he had just been stoned to half to death. They thought he was, could you imagine the bruises on top of the fact that he was nothing to look at? Now imagine the scars and the bruises and the man is half dead. Boulder on his chest. He's got, you know, stone marks everywhere. He's, and that's why he says, my trial which was in my flesh, you didn't despise me or reject me when you saw me, but you accepted me. You received me as an angel of God. Even as if I was Christ Jesus himself. So he's, he's, he's commending the church because the church received him and didn't despise him even when he had these afflictions. Now, going back to Galatians 4 where he talked about his trial in the flesh. The very next verse says, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. I wonder if in the stoning his eyes were affected. 
his eyes were affected because he said, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. We're not sure of this, but that could be a possibility. And some have speculated that the thorn in the flesh could be an eye deformity that developed from this experience. Of, uh, and based on that verse, we really don't know. What we do know is that there were false teachers who are sowing division among the people and had concluded that this man had a loathsome appearance that he was he was horrible to look at that's what they were saying he was nothing to look at if I could borrow from the modern vernacular and and I'm sorry ahead of time but just if I could borrow he was ratchet that's what they were saying your boy is ratchet he is toe up from the flow up that's what what that's what they were saying perhaps a hunchback with a horrible eye deformity and the false teachers were saying, the reason Paul is rejected and the reason that he's not more popular and that the gospel doesn't get a better hearing is partly because he's just unimpressive. He's common. He's just a run-of-the-mill, homely, and maybe even a deformed man. He lacks persona. He lacks stature. He lacks charm and whatever else it takes to sway people. But not only was his physical appearance unimpressive, but they smeared him as a preacher. They said the man can't preach. He can't speak. And they made less of his ability to speak. And Paul kind of admits to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 3 where he says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling and in verse one the verse uh, verse one two verses before that he says I didn't come with excellence of speech so that's the context of that he said I didn't come with excellence of speech in other words I wasn't the greatest speaker <laughs> I'm going to admit to that I was not the greatest preacher I didn't come with excellence of speech what a comfort to know that he was a little nervous before he got up to speak what a comfort it is to me personally to know that he uh, was not feeling all that comfortable when he got behind the sacred desk or whatever it was that he used at the time to speak from so much so that there was trembling and he was aware of his own shortcomings and I'm going to tell you there's a whole lot of young preachers who ask me all the time how do you prepare and how do you do this and how do you preach your sermons and I would like to and, and one of the things that I, and how do you stop from being nervous? And one of the things that I tell them over and over again, it's this, don't you ever despise the nerves before you go step behind that sacred pulpit. You better ask God to never take away the trembling, to never take away the nerves, to never take away that uneasy feeling that comes with it. Don't ever become too confident in your own abilities that you don't tremble before you step behind a sacred pulpit to speak the word of God to the people of God. You better tremble before you speak. You better be nervous before you speak. There are lives in the balance so your voice better shake when you speak. Ask God, don't take it away. Don't take it away because the trembling keeps you humble. The trembling keeps you accountable. The trembling keeps you obedient. The trembling keeps you teachable. The trembling keeps you honest. The trembling keeps you on your knees. So they mocked him for that. 
and they blamed the failures of his ministry and the fact that he was rejected so very often partly on the fact that he was such a despicable person to look and to listen to. So now it's time for Paul to defend himself. I'm bringing this to a close. Now it's time for Paul to defend himself. And it's not because I don't have about 20 more pages. It's just because I want to give you all a break. Now it's time for Paul to defend himself from these false accusations. And had it been me, I'm going to tell you, thank God I wasn't. I'm from the Bronx, homie. You know what I'm saying? Had it been me, I would have said something like, boy, look at my track record. Look at my pedigree. I'm from the Bronx. We don't use words like that, but you get it. I would have said, Google me, right? I'm the Apostle Paul. I'm not part of the 12, and they still call me an apostle. That's a bad boy. When you're not part of the 12 and you're still the apostle to the Gentiles, that you've got to be a certain kind of individual, right? I have the equivalent of three PhDs by the time I'm 25 years old. I wrote more than half of the New Testament and I got these PhDs at an accredited school. This wasn't, I didn't get this at the University of Tijuana online. Finally, I get you to laugh, amen. <laughs> you, see, you see what I'm saying? This is what Paul is saying. He said, I am, he could have said this, I am smart. You Google me, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a nobody. I am, a, I was, ra I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was taught at the feet of Gamaliel. I, I've got the best education you could ever, I know more than half of the Torah by memory. That's one of the requirements of, of being at the feet of Gamaliel, the memorization of the Torah. This is how he did it. He, he didn't say any of that stuff. Thank God Paul wasn't me. He didn't say any of that stuff. That's what I would have said. You know what Paul said? In essence, this is what Paul said. It's true. They, they said you're horrible to look at. They said your speech is horrible. He, he didn't defend himself. He never fought back. You know what he writes? He says, it's true. Everything you're saying is true. And you know where we get that? We read that at the beginning. See, he's very aware that the glory and the majesty and the wonder of the new covenant, the glory of God revealed in Jesus Christ and, and through his ministry, the glory was packaged in a humble, frail, imperfect, common messenger. And that's why he says, as we read in verse 7, he said, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Basically, he's saying it's true. Everything you're saying against me, it's true. I am deformed. I don't speak well. I don't look great. That's also probably why he was single. But anyway, <laughs> bless the name of the Lord. Amen. I shouldn't laugh too hard. And... <laughs> 
this is what this is what he is saying right here. He is saying we have this treasure, you know where in earthen vessels. His greatest defense against these people who were bringing accusations against him and saying you are ugly and despicable and you can't speak and he gets before the church and he writes to them and what he tells them is I'm a clay pot. What do you expect? I'm an earthen vessel. You got me on that one. Yes, I admit it. This, that's who I am. Do you admit, can you imagine the humility to be able to admit to yourself and to others? Yes, everything you're saying about me, that is true. And isn't that what we all are? Isn't that what ministry is? We need a revival of swagless preachers. We need a revival of people who will not be confident in their own abilities, who are not just tooting their own horn, who are not out there saying, well, look at me, look at me, look at me. We need a revival of people who will say, I'm just a clay pot. All I am is an earthen vessel. But this is what he said. He finishes it off by saying, we have a treasure in earthen vessel. For what reason? So that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of men. In other words, God is going to get more glory out of my earthen vessel. The weaker I am, the stronger he is. The darker I am, the brighter he is. God is going to get glory out of my weakness. And that's what I'm here to preach to you. The Christian does not faint. You know why? Because every accusation they throw against you, don't defend yourself. Don't act like you're better than everybody else. And oh, my ministry. And oh, my person. And oh, I'm righteous. And no, oh, I'm holy. No, don't defend yourself. That's exactly who you are. You are weak. We are clay pots. We we are earthen vessels, but thank God because we faint not due to the fact that God's glory is revealed through our earthen vessel. Nobody comes out to look at the earthen vessel. They come to look at the treasure inside of the earthen vessel. And the more of an earthen vessel you are, the greater the treasure looks through you. Amen. I end by saying... We faint not. I remember uh, a couple years ago when COVID first hit and the epicenter was in New York City. And uh, my mother was one of the first ones in the city to um, get infected with this COVID. It went rampant in the church. We lost, in the New York church, we lost about five of the saints during that first two, three months. We lost about five of our saints there and, and family members, etc. It was crazy. I'm going to tell you, I remember FaceTiming uh, my mother. And nothing could ever prepare you to hear a perfectly healthy, normal woman just a day or two ago wheezing and sweating and could hardly open her eyes. And, uh, and she said, we called the ambulance. She said, but the hospital were so full that the ambulance would come and give, give the patients a little oxygen and say, there's nothing we can do. No one had a cure. No one knew what to do. So they said, there's nothing we, can't, we can do and we can't take you into the hospital. So 
just pray and, and hopefully you make it. That's what they were telling people. I mean, and, and so they left my poor mother there and she was, uh, she was out and I, I thought for sure I was going to lose my mom. And that was a tough, tough time in my own life. I came face to face with the fact that, oh my goodness, I could lose my mother. Not only can I lose my mother, but they wouldn't even let me go see her. Had I lost her, they wouldn't have let me go see her. And, and, and the thought, I'm never going to see my mom again, uh, just gripped me. But you know, during that FaceTime call, as we were both crying, and during that FaceTime call, it felt as though I was the sick one. Because while she's wheezing and sweating and on her deathbed, she's encouraging me while she's dying. She's encouraging me. And she's telling me God is good, so good. And she's saying you keep going and you keep fighting and you keep preaching and there's so much more to do and I'm so proud of you and we've got to do this thing for Jesus. And, and, and she's going on and she's preaching to me. And she's the one that's dying. And she's preaching to me and something hit me. There is something. We are built different. We're not built like everybody else, folks. Though our outward man is perishing, our inward man is being renewed day by day. There is something about the Christian that won't let them faint. They can talk about you. They can say you're weak. They can say you're about to die. They can. But listen, when you have this spirit that is being renewed day by day your inward man it doesn't matter what's going on on the outside you can stand and faint not and still say but God is good but God is great but you know what the Lord be glorified through this somehow I want to bring glory to God even on my deathbed I want to bring glory to God even with all my weaknesses I want to bring glory to God even with deformities even with lack of speech, but let my weaknesses bring glory to the treasure that is the gospel and the glory of God. That's what Paul was saying. I'm just an earthly vessel. I'm just an earthen vessel, but my weaknesses are giving evidence. My weaknesses are not the things that should disqualify me from ministry. They're my very credentials. They're the ones that say, that's exactly who I want. That's exactly who I need. God does not call the qualified. God qualifies the called. God, it's when you get to the end of yourself that God, when you're down to nothing, God is up to something. And he says, I will use your life if you ever get weak enough to allow my glory to shine through you. Would you lift your hands all over this building and would you say, oh God, use me. Though our outward man is perishing. I look in the mirror, I'm, I'm not the same anymore. I don't look the same. I'm losing a step where we all are going down that road and sometimes it feels like I'm fainting. Oh God, I, 
I don't have it like I used to. The energy's not there. It's just, it's just the older we get, that's, that's just the, what is happening. And then there's trials in life, and then there's so many weaknesses. And, and Lord, I'm not apt for so many of these things, but oh God, I pray here tonight that you would help us to understand that your power is made strong through our weaknesses. Your power is made strong through our weaknesses. And that's why when Paul cried out to you three times so that you would take away the thorn in his flesh, you said no three times. Why? You said my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. My strength is made perfect in your weakness, Paul. I don't want you to be strong because the stronger you are, then the less my glory is shining through you I want your thorn in the flesh the more you have a thorn in the flesh the more my glory will shine through you to this world so don't stop preaching don't stop ministering don't stop what you're doing your weakness is the very vehicle that God is using for his glory let's stand to our feet all over this building lift your voices all over this building and let's ask God God use me even in my frailty use me even in my weaknesses use me even in my shortcomings use my life use my hands and my feet use me oh God for your glory let your shine your light shine through me oh God help me oh Lord to see your face daily and to know oh God that I am nothing without you help me Lord to bring glory to you even in my imperfections affections God we don't have the best voices we don't have the greatest speech we don't uh, sometimes don't look the best oh God but yet we are so happy we faint not because oh God we know that you work all things you work all things through our weaknesses your glory is made perfect in our weaknesses and we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ